Hey everybody, this is Laura and Rochelle from Hawara MP. And you're listening to the podcast for and about nurse practitioners in Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is Laura and I'm Rochelle and we are Hawara NP. This is episode two, part one of NP Autonomy. So Laura, tell me how do you think that nurse practitioners promote and facilitate patient autonomy? Um, Well, patient autonomy is promoted by nurse practitioners in a few ways actually. Mm -hmm. So the first way is definitely by giving patients information about decisions available to them, talking them through those decisions, making sure they know all the aspects about what can be the outcome from those decisions. Um, we We make sure that we respect the patient's right to choose and make decisions. Mm -hmm. We also explain potential outcomes of decisions so that they know what can happen based on where they decide to go with their care. So would you think that what you're describing incorporates a lot of the te tiriti or waitangi principles, doesn't it, of participation, protection and partnership? Definitely. So how we work in tandem with our patients to provide optimal health outcomes, essentially, eh? Yeah, and I think you would find that that's actually the concept of hora. You're right. Yes, so concept of health and well-being. It's unique to New Zealand, Aotearoa. So what are the aspects of that? It would be things like physical, mental and emotional, looking at the spiritual and social aspects of each person. So in terms of the whole person, looking at things from every perspective. So looking at their health as a combination of factors, I suppose you would say. You're right. So it's not just looking at the physical um, presentation of the patient in front of you, but you're also looking at things that encapsulate that person as a whole. So their mental well-being, their whanau and their family values as well. So kind of what entrenches them as a person based on their upbringing as well. And so what their whānau and family influences are, as well as their spiritual well-being. So sometimes we just think of that as religion, don't we? But that's not always the case. So it's more kind of those cultural underpinnings and self-awareness that we have of who we are. Definitely. Um, So we are a product of our environments, aren't we? We are, definitely. Understanding Um, that is very important, I think. So I think looking at keeping the conversation open and acknowledging each part of that for the patient and making sure that we are obviously aware that their decision or decisions are based on the fact that there is multiple aspects to that person. Very true. And I think another way that NPs promote and facilitate patient autonomy is through the five A's of access. So improving equity. So I don't know if all of our listeners will have been aware or are aware of the five A's of access. That's availability, accessibility, affordability, acceptability and appropriateness. So there's a great article on Hiahu Hiringa explaining this further if anybody's interested in listening to it. But essentially it's just one way that NPs contribute in the Aotearoa to improving equity and therefore our patient health outcomes as well. So that's quite a significant contribution to patient autonomy I think in the nutritional role definitely okay so so not only do nurse practitioners promote and facilitate patient autonomy but 
NPs also practice autonomy. And so we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, especially around my own challenge with that vertical shift from RN to NP. But I did a little bit of research for this episode. Peacock and Hernandez, they did a systematic review in 2020. And I think it was probably of around like 100 plus pieces of literature around the NP role. Granted, it was international research. But they suggested that the ideal definition of the NP scope should be of autonomy. This should be defined as the NP's use of their experience, clinical judgment and responsibility to practice without restriction in professional collaboration with other health professionals and that autonomy allows NPs to practice to the maximum extent of their advanced education, participate in productive and voluntary collaborations and continue to positively influence health equity. So Laura, do you think kind of, it's obviously quite a lengthy uh, definition of autonomy for NPs practice, but what do you think about that kind of statement? Well, I think it covers pretty much most of it. Yeah, it's a a good definition. It definitely covers a lot of what we do. in terms of autonomous uh, practice. And I think actually that's where a lot of us realise that it is definitely a step up from the RN role Mm -hmm. in terms of autonomy. All of those things kind of go into it. Mm. So, I mean, essentially we're looking at in terms of like autonomy is a lot of decision-making. It's a lot of decision-making. And I think that's where it starts, right? So if we break that definition down a little bit, maybe. So it talks about the use of their experience. So we know that the pathway to NP practice in New Zealand registration is at least three years undergraduate yeah four years in your specialty and then at at least least, that's right yeah and then you undertake a master's yes and then well for me that master's took five years prior to being an NP I had been a registered nurse for about 11 or 12 years and you're even longer in that spectrum haven't you yeah. So I think from what has been looked at, that the quickest you can get to being an NP is nine years. Mm. But that would that would very rarely happen. Yeah, I, I think, think the research said that there's been only a couple yeah. of NPs in New Zealand that have done that. And if you guys are and listening, even then it was a few more. Yeah, years. and yeah. if you guys are listening, well done you, awesome mahi. You know that that takes a lot of dedication and sacrifice. You know, I certainly didn't do this education pathway and progression without sacrifice as well as the same as you Laura hey no definitely so we talk definitely. Of, mine definitely took a lot longer. yeah and so we talk about experience um and so clinical judgment and responsibility to practice without restriction and professional collaboration with other health professionals so what do you think that that, that kind of looks like for us as MPs Laura so I think it's about taking what we know from previous practice and using the knowledge that we've gained over the years of practice to then go forward and make decisions that are informed to make decisions that based on based on best practice best practice mm. exactly mm. and coming and using them for the best decisions for our patients right. I suppose and if we yeah. link in just to how we were talking about promoting and facilitating patient autonomy this is in collaboration with our patients so we're often presenting the best course of action based on our clinical judgment and letting them be a part of that patient management essentially hey exactly so we're autonomous but we're also providing autonomy for the patient as we discussed before that's right and we talk about without restriction and professional collaboration with other health professionals so this alludes to how NPs in New Zealand can practice autonomously in nurse-led clinics so we know that there's a couple here in Auckland know of one in Northland as well and there's likely satellite clinics kind of just all throughout the country especially in rural and hard to 
access areas. And I think it's also about uh, collaborating with other professionals outside of the clinic, for instance, choosing to collaborate with secondary care Mm -hmm. um, and the care decisions for the patient. So making decisions all round in terms of the way that you're going to guide the patients. That's here. right, and that's including like community and other primary care services. So if we're looking at our pharmacy support, hospice and palliative services, our physiotherapists and how they contribute to patient health outcomes as well. So we're not always referencing to our medical colleagues as well. And I think the no, importance exactly. that is instilled in nurse practitioners is knowing your own scope and the vulnerabilities that lie in that. I think we yeah. can all agree that we're not experts. Well, sorry, we're, but we're not all experts and it's knowing where those vulnerabilities are and I think nurse practitioners are often risk averse as well so we often seek more collaboration because of that and I guess like with time you know that that helps build confidence anyway doesn't it yeah and experience and experience and I think that's where you know you you feel the weight of the decision making I think in terms of of all Mm. those things so I think often at the end of the day you get a certain amount of decision fatigue especially early Mm. on you get home You've been making choices all Mm. day, decisions all day in regards to patient care. Every part of your day is decision making. Mm. And then you get home and you've got to decide what to eat for dinner. And even that's too much (laughs) when you've been deciding. It's not even what you're eating for dinner, right? You're like often motivated by like what other people in your whanau want to eat. Um, Exactly, exactly. But I think you're often kind of your clinical judgment. You're often just kind of ticking off things in your head as you're doing a system review. So you're often like, all right, doing your quick reviews like your neuro review, like your abdo review, you're doing all these questions that are quickly ticking things off. And so, yeah, it's just not even decision-making fatigue. It's just mental fatigue. You're kind of like running on the job as you're doing it. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, I will admit that now after a certain amount of time in the role, I'm finding that... I'm not so fatigued getting home at the end of the day because there's a lot more level of of audit. You kind of know a few things more audit. You know where to find resources. So that's definitely, uh, I mean, there are days still. I get home tired, but... It, it's not quite like yeah, and that's days. definitely the nature of healthcare as well. Eh? Like we talk a little bit definitely, um, and we probably haven't touched on it as much. But you know, here there's a workforce shortage in healthcare, and we've just come out of the back of a COVID pandemic. And at the minute, we're coming into winter, which is likely going to be influenza, RSV. We've got a pertussis outbreak, you know, which comes around what every four to five years. So there are some compounding pressures in healthcare at the minute as well. So you just kind of alluded to that fatigue at the end of the day. And so we'll probably talk around a little bit more things around increasing our resilience, but I think it's really important to remember the pressures that lie within the nurse practitioner profession here in New Zealand. Most yeah. definitely, most definitely, agreed. And so agreed. if we go a little bit further, further breaking this down, so NPs to practice the maximum extent of their advanced education. So for you and I, that's a master's, obviously, that's the pathway for nurse practitioners here in New Zealand. And that's obviously got our pharmacology components in yeah. there our health sciences, you know, and obviously more social philosophies as well. Assessment papers. As our advanced assessment and management. And so it says here, participate in productive and voluntary collaboration. So that's identifying, isn't it, that NPs are independent, autonomous practitioners. Yes, and that we collaborate voluntarily. So if we do decide to access other people's support for a patient, it is our Mm -hmm. choice. And then it says to continue 
positively influence health equities. This goes back to improving access in the five A's of access, which I referenced the Hi Akua Hiringa article, which is really great at identifying what contributes to access and inequities across Aotearoa. And there's quite a bit of research that supports NPs show equitable and as positive health outcomes as other medical colleagues yes. here in New Zealand. So there is research and literature to back that Yeah, up. that just shows how impacting the NP role is in our current climate of workforce pressures that kind of permeate all areas, both primary care and secondary services of health here in New Zealand, I think. Definitely. It's a required Mm. service. It is a service that our health system requires. So, Laura, how would you provide me with an example of how you practice autonomously? So, for me... Autonomy in practice was demonstrated very early on in regards to testing, Mm -hmm. the choice to test, understanding what is helpful in regards to testing, pathology. Early on as a nurse practitioner, you kind of have this fear of, I believe a lot of people have a fear of missing something. For me personally, I felt an overwhelming fear that I wouldn't get to the end point, be able to diagnose the patient well enough. So I would often test a lot. I would do a lot of testing. (laughs) I would test as much as I can. What if this is a heart attack? What if this is et cetera, et cetera. Very soon felt that often doing too much testing can confuse it. And I think this is well supported in literature as well, that new health professionals will overtest. And unfortunately, just a defense mechanism, isn't it really? We don't want to miss things. And you and I both know as well as every other nurse practitioner who works with us or is coming through is that we go into this role to improve patient health outcomes because we feel we can make a difference. And what we've been doing beforehand as nurses, we often progress because we can see and feel that we can do more. Just wanting to provide the best care for the patient. So I think that's just not isolated to nurse practitioners. I think the literature supports that that's relevant to all health professionals when they become autonomous at frequent over-testing in the initial periods. Yeah, I felt a weight of responsibility to make sure that I was providing the patients not only with good care, but very thorough care. In fact, too thorough. So... To me, it took a while to realize that testing too much Mm. is not helpful. It it was about making sure that you do appropriate testing, discussing the tests with the patient, letting go Mm. of that fear somewhat, because the fear, in fact, was just Mm. clouding the issue. Obviously, that fear is going to dissipate Mm. a bit as you practice more. You start to realize more that things aren't going to fall down just because you didn't do XYZ test. But it's about making sure that the tests that you do are evidence-based and appropriate for what you're looking at. So I definitely think that's something that's yeah. that's become it's, easier and I think that relates back to autonomy in terms of the fact that I felt that it was the weight of working independently on my shoulders of, of carrying that and not wanting to Because again those piece of autonomy that you talk about refers back to the patient collaboration how we facilitate autonomy so we explain why we don't necessarily do this test because we know that the results yeah. can be skewed in any way or compounded by other factors and so that may lead to unwarranted and further investigation that would compromise the patient's overall health. Exactly. And giving the patient choices to do certain tests as well. Do we want this person to be subjected to a myriad of tests and, you know, in secondary care because we've tested something that didn't necessarily need to be tested with a high Mm -hmm. risk of false positive? And I guess that goes back to as well, like in the instances that you did do those tests and say something was to come back abnormal, that's when you voluntarily collaborate with your colleagues 
um, around the management and that could be within the primary care setting or the secondary care setting, whatever you felt was appropriate. Exactly, yes. So I think that for me demonstrated uh, kind of the overall fear that the autonomy brought for me initially. Obviously, I'm not, not mm. in that place now. I'm finding it more and more that I'm able to and make those selections. it also shows selections. growth of autonomy though too, hey? It exactly. shows growth within that professional development as well. Most definitely, most definitely. And how about you, um, Michelle? I think that I would show this in my clinic most through nurse leadership. I support the nurses quite a lot and reflect on their management with them and support their management when they're seeing a patient. Examples are, you know, wound cares or advice around hypertension management as well. Um, Our nurses work at the top of their scope, which is fantastic. And it's also hard. It requires oversight. So I would significantly contribute to that. And I think that that improves health outcomes as well because it improves access yes and I think nurse leadership is it comes in this role I think you fall you don't fall into it but because you're progressing you naturally become a leader as well so you know it does take me by surprise initially when people look up to me for that oversight but actually on reflection you're like yeah of course you know that that's what I'm here for like that that's the work that I want to do and support the nurses with but you know there's no point that you know I held up a flag above my head and was like I'm going to be a leader you know I'm a nurse practitioner to be a leader you know I was always driven by wanting to improve health outcomes as we spoke about in the last episode so I think that that just kind of shows the natural growth as well of the NP autonomous role at how we can support our nurse colleagues in our clinic yeah definitely and I don't think that the leadership does necessarily have to be purposeful it just sometimes Mm. it's innate Mm. in just what you do in terms of the fact that you have the experience you've worked in the role before and helping others to reach a point in their careers where they can practice at the top of their scopes it's it's a natural part of uh, stepping up and um, being a leader yourself okay so I mean we can all agree that autonomy is our autonomy is for Mm -hmm. the benefit of the patient so it means sharing kind of our expertise and our knowledge. Autonomy for the nurse practitioner is is what the healthcare system needs. Mm. It's what patients need. I think because we show growth and I think that the healthcare system has changed and evolved in New Zealand. And I think when we talk about nurse practitioners and the intention of doing this podcast is to grow confidence among the sector in the NP role and to provide a network for the NPs to collaborate with and be supported because of how autonomous this role is. You know, we talk a lot about, well, previously we did, we talk about how isolating it is, but it's not actually isolating in the work that you're doing. It's just isolated because we're often compared to other medical colleagues. So I think that talking around the NP autonomy and how we facilitate patient health health outcomes, um, I think is quite important in the sheer understanding of the nurse practitioner role and what we can do for patients and how we can collaborate um, for both the primary and the secondary care sector, because as we talk about, both you and I are in primary care. Yeah, so I think sharing our experiences of autonomy is important. I think us talking about how it makes us feel, um, maybe how vulnerable we feel with it, um, and how we're coping with it moving forward will help our colleagues, including nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. interns, 
uh, those training and RNs and other people who are in the same yeah, position because as we've us. got like in the nursing profession there are three prescribing roles there's the community nurse prescriber there's a designated nurse prescriber and then outside of the registered nurse scope there's a nurse practitioner who's at the top of the nursing profession in terms of their scope and responsibilities and so I think just when you're you're progressing kind of any role or accumulating new skills as a nurse, it's important to identify that autonomy and that responsibility and that accountability for your practice that you're taking on. And I think that's what yes, promotes best practice. I think that it would be naive to think that nurse practitioners alone will solve the workforce shortage. And I don't think that you and I think that for a second. We're not the solution. Yeah, no. We're part of a wider solution. So just to recap, I believe that we've made notable consideration to how NPs promote and facilitate patient autonomy to allow patients to have the ultimate decision-making responsibility for their own treatment. We do this through incorporating te tiriti or waitangi, the three principles of partnership, participation and protection in how we work and facilitate that work in Aotearoa. We've also covered how nurse practitioners are autonomous, how we demonstrate that autonomy, and a little bit about how nurse practitioners are defined as autonomous. So looking at articles around the definition of autonomy and looking further into that definition. And we also suggested a great article on Hiako Hiringa, which is a platform, a professional development platform for health professionals. And it talks around the five A's of access. So availability, accessibility, affordability, acceptability and appropriateness and how NPs can improve equity across Aotearoa. Okay, so just to wrap up, how can people get in touch with us, Rochelle? So we have a Hawara NP Instagram. So just to clarify that that's H-A-U-O-R-A-N-P on Instagram, all one word. And we also have a email account, NP at gmail.com. So stay tuned for next week. We've got episode... Three, part two of NP Autonomy, talking about different aspects of NP Autonomy, talking a little bit about resilience, self-care, covering all the other stuff we didn't cover today, essentially. Take care. Join us next week. Ka kite. Bye.